Hey everybody, welcome to The Checkout. It's a podcast that you are subscribed to, Spotify, Stitcher. All of our shows are hosted on our homepage at checkoutjazz.org. I'm Simon Rettner. Words often fail when we're trying to describe this music, so I guess we gotta activate our other senses. Why not our nose? On today's show, the trumpeter and composer Steph Richards sniffs out many possibilities. We're going to begin today's show by talking about what you're hearing right now. Supersense must certainly be the world's first jazz scratch and sniff listening experience. Steph Richards teams up with a master scent designer by the name of Sean Raspit in the creation of nine unique fragrances, some more pleasant than others. And for each specific scent comes a Steph Richards song, a composition that Richards releases in the recording studio so her bandmates take a whiff and then they respond. Yes, that's with Jason Moran on piano, Stomu Takashi on bass, and Kenny Wallison on drums. Obviously, if you want to smell along with what you're going to be hearing, you're going to have to either buy the vinyl or go to Bandcamp and purchase the CD. And later in the show, we're going to be bringing on a pianist by the name of Joshua White to talk about Steph Richards' latest creative endeavor called Zephyr, a duo recording that takes us on a journey that explores the sonic and visual territory of water. Stick with us, Steph Richards is next. Do you hear me all? (laughs) I'm taking it all in. Steph Richards, my whole apartment smells like your record. (laughs) Sorry. We are thrilled to welcome Steph to the checkout for the very first time. My pleasure. Thank you, Simon. I'm literally smelling a scratch and sniff card that comes with the vinyl or CD that you purchase in SuperSense. And my super senses are activated now. Obviously, we know that just from hearing a few seconds of music of yours, and maybe you know her already and how phenomenal of an instrumentalist she is, but she has great ears. We know this. When did you know you had a great nose? Oh, <laughs> I don't know if my nose has anything to do with it, actually. Um, but I've always been interested in space and how it influences everything I'm doing, right? Like the environment and, and the vibe for, for, I mean, that's the best word I can think of, of how that's just, it, it impacts every sound that's made, every conversation that's had. And, you know, in the beginning, this was manifested through kind of working with visuals, with lighting and staging and, and even kind of movement and choreography. And, and for this project, I was really just thinking like, man, what could I do to bring us closer to the music. And 
And I started thinking about how, you know, you can close your eyes <laughs> uh, and shut out the visual information. Um, you can't close your ears and you can't close your nose. <laughs> and so this, and, and also you can't touch smell just like you can't touch music. And so there's this connection between scent and sound. I started really thinking about it. It's like, hey, these are these intangible things that have infinite possibilities to influence our emotional selves. And what would happen if I could bring them together in a performance space? What would happen to the music that, that we could make? In my journey to, to, to find my collaborator, Sean Raspett, who designed all the scents, was a, a, a long <laughs> chain of, of emails to, to random artists around the world being with this wacko project. And I was so lucky that Sean was like, wait a minute, you want to do what? Okay, let's talk about it. And so, yeah, that's kind of how the whole thing started. What were like some of the early responses to some of these first emails you sent out in, in doing this project? Um, there was quite a lot of I don't understand and I don't have time for this. <laughs> but Sean, I emailed him and he understood right away. And I, you know, and he was like, I'm super game. So Sean, he's like a multimedia artist. He's worked, you know, he makes his 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 own um, sort of installation based work, but also he's a flavorist and he he created this the flavors for Soylent. You remember that kind of Silicon Valley tech drink that came out a few years ago? I mean, I just know Soylent Green. Isn't that like a, a movie of like a horror movie of oh. like eating people? <laughs> I didn't know that actually. I'm sorry. That's funny. <laughs> That's a good connection. Yes, yeah, Soylent is one of those, you know, uh, drinks, all in one nutrition drinks. And okay. uh, so Sean, so he's worked, the long story about that is that he's worked in flavor and he's he he thinks a lot about you know how these senses affect or affect people kind of in like a vast commercial way through you know flavoring foods that like millions of people drink and then also in you know art projects you know at tiny galleries and basements you know <laughs> in New York that like five people get to experience and so um he understood right away when I when I I, sh I told him the premise of the project and I said from the get go we're going to create scents that have no tether to what we actually could know what they are so they're texture based and I said our whole relationship cannot be defined by things we're not going to make something smell like something it's not going to smell like an orange um, we're going to talk texturally and emotionally so like what is the smell of loss what's the texture of this like hyperrhythmic staccato kind of like low register vibe like what does that feel like to you so it was a really interesting relationship that we had where we couldn't talk about like real objects but really more textures emotional um senses and and develop sense that were that were trying to capture the music in a way that was as uh for me as honest as possible this isn't going to smell like strawberries and cream or whatever um <laughs> but but you might smell some some comfort and joy in, in this particular track
You reminded me of the scene in the biopic on Netflix uh, with Ewan McGregor playing Halston as they're com- trying to come up with their his scent, his perfume, which is made of all of these unsavory things, which I won't mention. <laughs> in the liner notes, you say that you can't reveal uh, any of the combinations or ingredients or whatever. Screw that. You have to give me something. <laughs> Okay, okay, let me think through. So the gentlest insect, that definitely has the smell of cricket pheromones, basically. So like, that's what insects are, that's the smell of, of, and obviously there's a bunch of other things in there, but that's one of the base elements. Sexy. It's sexy. (laughs) There is a sweetness to it, but there's kind of this sadness too. Um, there's definitely a base of some sort of like petroleum in underbelly. There's like definitely like that like tar, black stickiness to that scent. There's the smell of ozone. Matter is water. Oh, matter is water. Yeah. And so that has actually uh, the the scent of ozone. So after it rains, ozone is released, you know, on the ground. And so that's that's kind of one of the bases of that. You know, I could wear that as a perfume. (laughs) I would put that on myself. Yeah. Smells pretty good. Everyone's so comforted. They're like, hey, let's just have a nice cup of tea and watch a movie. (laughs) I like that. Oh. I didn't even realize ozone had a smell. That's right? crazy. Yeah. What? Well, now you know that smell after it rains. It's, it's ozone. That's part of it. That's wild. And now I feel wild. bad now when I think <laughs> about the hole. <laughs> well, there's there's definitely some darkness in this record, too. <laughs> the smells aren't all... Uh, there's some funk in the record, like I said. That's Kenny Wallison. That's Kenny Wallison. <laughs> yeah. Actually, funny story about Kenny in the studio. So he was in, in the ISO booth. He was, you know, in the drum booth. And uh, I think it was Underbelly, which is one of the more intense of the smells. And we did a couple takes and like halfway through one of them, he was like, guys, we got to stop. He's like, this smell, he's, I think I'm high. And like, we had to like take a break. He needed fresh air. I mean, and I felt terrible. It was an intense session for sure. <laughs> That's so funny because I watched your trailer on YouTube about the record and I was waiting for that moment of when, of like Jason Moran, like <laughs> taking a deep breath of the card, like going and then just like busting out in like super sense or whatever. There were a lot of jokes behind the scenes. <laughs> (laughs) 
the way I did it, so there were no titles. I didn't want any associations with the smells. I wanted people to come to it on their own terms and also let it impact their playing in, in whatever way they it needed to or maybe they didn't so like it was really an experiment a lot of the compositions we all had boxes that had each scent in it and so I would say you know in a particular tune like open open box number two or or maybe you know music there'd be some sort of notated information and then halfway through it'd say open you know box number three play against it and so kind of just like play against it play so. against it or play inside yeah so we were, we were really trying to like I was really experimenting with like, how can this extra bit of information that we were already processing as, you know, as improvising musicians, we're already processing all that stuff anyway. You know, when, when you're playing in a club, like that familiar smell of, of the bar is, that's part of, that's part of my like expression, you know, for better, for worse. <laughs> Village um, Vanguard, you're, you're on notice. <laughs> Did we all just go to the Village Vanguard when I said that? I definitely was there. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing. That's it's so important. It's that red carpet. <laughs> I, I, I think they reached, they changed it though. But that's really what I was trying to get at with this project. Is like, it's funny, it's kitschy, but actually, at the end of the day, it's so real and so close to us, and it's such a big part of of how we create and how we hear things. You know, the pandemic happened and I was talking to the label and I was like, oh, is there any way we can hold off? Because, you know, I, like I really wanted to play this show live with um, <clears throat> with um, diffused scent into the space and we'd layer it and just have audiences really kind of experience a really in intense, thick kind of emotional, you know, vibe with with the music. Um and the label said, no, let's put it out now. Let's let's give people a chance to feel close to music again and in their own homes and and give give that opportunity, you know, for for intimacy. Yeah. Well, it's huge props to Northern Spy uh, for, you know, going the extra mile and <laughs> making this happen. When you first hear about it, yes, the first reaction is absurdity, laughter, uh, like, what? <laughs> but... <laughs> Is this real? Is she? Is she? Is this like a prank? Is she messing with us? But then, the more you actually think about it and probably do it, it becomes incredibly emotional. The other thing is when you're saying that you, it revealed this this emotional connection that maybe you weren't expecting because it's it's so kind of goofy on its surface. Um, the way we experience a lot of our music is digitally. And I was, that was another part of this record. I was like, you know what? You can't buy smells on iTunes. And so let's find a way to connect with people, right? In a physical, real physical way. What does jazz smell like? And I was like, mm, girl, you don't want to know. <laughs> I didn't realize glass has a smell, but apparently it does. Here it is.
what was the process, the time meeting up with Sean Risbit? I see in the trailer video, you have this like crazy exotic, the apocalypse just happened mask. Well, what's going on here? Oh my gosh. Well, that was part of the apocalypse mask. So a lot, the beginning stages we had, Sean probably made hundreds of versions of different scents that we went through and, and, and kind of chose. And there was a lot of just sitting and listening together and, and, and not really words exchanged, but really just, you know, tinkering. He really like, he, he was like a chemist, you know, pouring things in tubes and what do you think of this? And how does this smell? And how does this feel? And were but, you playing the trumpet on the spot, like to react to it? Just to like, <laughs> like this, this smells like, <laughs> sorry. Okay, we, never, we never had any of that. <laughs> Beep. No, we didn't. Uh, we didn't do any 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 live. Although that might be a fun project in the future. The process was very much um, listening together. I I didn't play live, but I'd play like recordings or I'd bring in the compositions themselves. And even if he he didn't read music, but I would show show him the score and it kind of explain and even just kind of giving him that visual element to help inspire. But he did a lot of listening on his own. You know, we he made a draft version of all the scents for the studio session. And then afterwards, after the record was edited, I sent him the, the final version. And so he he got to kind of um, make sense that were a little more nuanced and have a little more depth to them. And so it was a really long, actually years long process. But the beginning forms of scent, like the concentrated ones <laughs> before you put them on a scent card and stuff are, are very intense. And at the time I was also pregnant and so like, and the nausea was real. If there's any women listening, like it was real and it was deep. And so it's, yeah, that the picture of me wearing this like end of the world mask was, uh, I was, I was working with some sense and also pregnant at the time. So I was like, I need to just tone it down just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially for something like underbelly. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But that one, I'm just curious, like, why don't you tell me when you smell underbelly, like what are you, what do you, or, or a bunker? Oh yeah, bunker, bunker. That had like a, a nice mildew undertone to it. Shout out to the Vanguard. <laughs> Once again, we're just recreating the Vanguard here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, come on, Vanguard. I gotta book this band. I mean, come on. But seriously though, this is a heavy ass band, Steph. <laughs> Jason Moran, Stomu Takashi, Kenny Wallace, and not gonna get better than that. <laughs> The band really was killing just because you mentioned it. They were oh so. Oh my God. I, I was so. Like on grateful. point. The intention is real, y'all, on Super <laughs> Sense. You hear it.
why don't we uh, bring Joshua White yeah. in this conversation and talk about your other project of feeling Zephyr. Joshua White, the pianist based in San Diego, is making waves though here in New York City. I feel like your name is being brought up all the time with Among All the Cats. Check out Joshua White, hear what he's doing. <laughs> well, we can all enjoy and uh, hear what he's doing on the latest recording with Steph Richards called Zephyr. But first, before we get into that record, have you smelled any of this stuff? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. That's a perfect answer. <laughs> what is the music space that has the most potent smell for you immediately? Rapid response. The practice room. The practice room. Like any practice room or do, is there a, a specific practice room in mind? More specifically, I would say that um, you know, hearkening back to my uh, college days, the um, the practice room um, at San Diego State University, it had this purely like sort of antiseptic sort of um, vibe and, you know, these pure clean white walls and it was just very sterile and you're forced to, you know, sort of um, commune with uh, yourself and the music in that isolated space. And so sometimes, you know, like in my um, practice, I'll harken back to that environment and the senses and the smells of that, you know, sort of space. It's less about the space and more about what I was trying to accomplish at that, you know, particular point. It really, you know, sort of centers me and like stabilizes my focus. So moving away then from the scent of things, uh, I guess we're going to be addressing the feeling of things and maybe explicitly the touch of things in a soft, gentle breeze or a, a fine cotton in your duo recording entitled Zephyr. I actually had to look that up in the dictionary because I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> it's nice, isn't it? Zephyr is a nice definition. So before you guys went into these uh, tracks, were you guys touching stuff? <laughs> Jay, do you want to start? Do you want to answer that, that one? <laughs> okay, sure. Um, I don't know that that was necessarily the focus, but I did, you know, like anytime I'm working with, you know, Steph and we're coming up with, you know, sort of creative ideas, it's always about utilizing everything you possibly can within that environment, whether it's using prepared piano or any sounds, Steph always brings out a higher level of creativity for me because she's so inventive.
it's like she put the bell of her trumpet inside of the piano or utilizing all these different methods to gain these new textures and, you know, these new um, sonic textures. It forces me to inhabit many different spaces. Being in that sort of dialogue, I believe that we can push each other in and interrogate spaces and environments. So whether that's tactile or sonic or whatever, we're always about that exploration and finding a starting point and moving from there. We're going to get to your prepared piano in a second because it's some of the finest prepared piano music that I've heard recently. And I just I just love it when pianists jack up the piano in every way they can. <laughs> Even when they stomp on it, it, it makes a, a good note to me. <laughs> but before we do that, what track is it where she's actually sticking her trumpet in your piano, up in your business? <laughs> did we have, did, I don't know if we released one, Josh. Do you remember? The moment that sticks out to me was in a performance, but, you know, Mm -hmm. I I just sort of, I'm visualizing that, you know, sort of openness every time we get together. One of the first times that um, Joshua and I played together, um, Joshua had this huge keyboard and, and I remember I was kind of saying like, hey, can we kind of go for this sort of thing? And Joshua, I remember you were like, I don't know, let's just like, he's like, I haven't figured out this, this keyboard yet. So let's just see what sound comes out. And that just like that energy, that openness to any possibility. I just feel like, you know, like we carry each other when we play and to find that synergy is something really special.
when we're talking about live, there are many sort of dimensions and maybe definitions or maybe even levels of live chemistry, the vibe of a room, certain moments in your life, things are more live than others. Mm -hmm. And not all live interactions should be treated equally, maybe. So on this record, maybe this is a question for both of you. What, in your opinion, felt the most live? So the track where um, where I'm playing under underwater and Joshua's got this beautiful preparation that he he figured out. Is this Anza? Um, it's Anza. It's track two. On yeah, and um, I feel like that moment. I mean, that felt live or alive. And I remember we both kind of came out of it as if it was you know we were dreaming. I remember like when the track ended and we were kind of like, whoa, <laughs> let's, let's go get some air. Yeah. <laughs> um,
that was a really, I think, a, such a special moment. And it's so funny because when you're in the studio, you know, you have these magical moments, at least you remember them a certain way. And then you listen to the tracks, you know, a, whenever you can bring yourself to checking them out a, a couple months later or whatnot, or the next day, when the environment's pulled from the actual sonic material, you can give a whole new perspective on things, right? And so that's what I love about recorded music is you can kind of place it after the fact, but the liveness can still be there. And I think that track number two, the Anza track, is it, it captures it. And I also just feel like that idea of liveness is love, actually, like, you know, not to be too tutti fruity about it all, but I really feel like that's what it is. It's when you're, when you're giving it all, it's a definition of communion. That's, that's so deep and raw and it's can be between players. It can be between audiences. Putting your trumpet in a pool of water. It seems to be, this is like a go-to thing now for you. What was the first time you did it and what kind of crazy looks did you get? <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm speaking in practice rooms. So it was, I was in the practice room and just like deep into something and, you know, on the trumpet, you can get a bunch of spit collecting in, in, in the tubes and it makes this gurgly sound. And so your first, you know, for usually you just kind of empty out the spit valve and call it a day or whatever. And in this case, I, I, I heard this vulnerability in, in the sound. It was like, what, wait a minute, this, I can't control this. This is this otherness. I wanted to to go deeper and find out, you know, what I, I want to find find out more about this vulnerability. And so then I started pouring water into the trumpet, you know, and measuring, you know, well, if I put this much in, this happens. If I take this out, blah, blah, blah. And uh, you know, it was pure exploration. And I had a show <laughs> like the next day. So this pretty new thing I had just found. <laughs> I um, you know, I I thought I'd bring it out. And so I was, I was in my flugelhorn, which hadn't been cleaned in a long time. And I poured a bunch of water inside and I was you know, getting all these funky, bubbly, gurgly sounds. And at one point, you know, in the, in the moment, I was like, oh, let's suck some water out and I'll just see what happens. And <laughs> it was like, if you could have seen my face in that show to suck out, I don't know what kind of crud was in that flugelhorn, but it was revolting. And I had to play it cool. But man, so I learned my lesson. The water goes in and never comes out. <laughs> At least not near my mouth. In terms of your piano preparedness, Joshua, and your history in your tinkering, it took you a couple of steps hearing different people doing it to get to that level. I just want you to take our listeners on that journey. Well, I, I would say, you know, my introduction into um, prepared piano actually began with working with um, with uh, Mark Dresser and his uh, quintet, you know, many, many years ago. You know, having worked with uh, Mark and his and playing his music over the years, you know, I've had the pleasure of working with many other um, different artists through him and, you know, um, doing uh, telematic 
concerts where we play in, you know, um, in different locations with other musicians and connect digitally. I remember for one concert, a specific composer required, you know, some uh, preparations for the, the piano. And so Mark brought in some gaffer's tape, some magnets and some other sort of toys. And he was like, try these. And <laughs> I was like, okay. And so I just started setting things up in the piano. And then as I began to just experiment and uh, cultivating, you know, these different environments and sounds within, you know, the piano, for each uh, segment that we play, I try to do something differently. So like I'll use the gaffer's tape in a different space. I'll move the, the magnets. I will, um, if I stick uh, paper or paper clips or anything inside the interior of the piano, I'll try to approach it differently for each segment, but definitely for each concert, depending on, you know, sort of what mood or even, you know, what kind of instrument that we have available. Another dimension to Joshua's playing that if, if you haven't seen him is that, you know, Joshua's talking about all the things and the objects that are part of the instrument that he's creating every time he plays. But then like his body, I hope it's okay to say this, Joshua, but like the way you, you kind of, you, you like dance with the keys, like the way you play that instrument, it's its own form of, you know, prepared piano-ness or, or, or whatever you want to call it. But that's its own like timbral expression that I feel like is a big part of of, of your palette and that I, I love so much because it's a different dance every time and a different way to move, so. Yeah. Hearing the prepared piano isn't particularly shocking anymore. However, hearing you play it is a little shocking. And that's what's so inviting. But in addition to that, I also just hear the entire jazz history in your playing. Oh. So it's 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 within it's within this larger continuum of the music and it's just so tastefully done. And I just wanted to say congratulations for for being able to do that because artists work their whole lives to get that kind of thing. Oh, wow. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Check out their record Zephyr. And it's not as gentle and soft as the album might suggest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks so much, Simon, man. We're so happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
go to our website right now and you can watch the brand new video directed by Vipal Manga celebrating Steph Richards' new recording entitled Zephyr featuring the pianist Joshua White. That's at checkoutjazz.org. We have a Facebook page. We're on Twitter. And again, all of our shows are archived on our homepage at checkoutjazz.org. Have you subscribed to the podcast yet? I hope so. If you do, please, if you would, be so kind. Give us a nice review while you're at it. That would be sweet. The Checkout is a production of WBGO Newark. I'm Simon Rentner. Thanks for checking us out.